Well, hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community, mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. You'll be hearing from Fisher Poets Dan Kaiser of Chinook, Alaska, Lou Beaudry of McCall, Idaho, and Mary Jacobs of Port Townsend, Washington, with an introduction by MC Doug Rhodes. This set was recorded at the Liberty Theater on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's the show. Okay, I'd like to welcome everybody to the uh, 6 o'clock hour here at the Liberty Theater. And once again, uh, welcome everybody back to the Fisher Poets Gathering. This is the 26th one, I believe. So let's give everybody a round of applause for getting to see this beautiful operation. Uh, also, uh, we've been mentioning at every hour that uh, there, there is this poetry contest at the end of uh, the night here. Uh, so after the nine o'clock sessions have all finished up, we'll go right into this poetry contest. Poetry contest is open to anybody who is uh, attending. If you have a Fisher Poet button, uh, you're welcome to read. And, uh, the, but there are rules, and the rules are a little complicated. They're so complicated that uh, if you just meet some of these categories, I think you might be all right. But the one category you got to meet is it can only be 60 seconds long, has to have three colors in your poem, has to have three sounds in your poem, three smells in your poem, it has to have a voice in your poem, and whatever that means, I think if you're reading it, there's a voice in that poem, and it has to be about fishing. So, uh, and also I'd like to thank Nevada, Kelly, and Liv, our sound people here. Let's give them a round of applause for making this all work tonight. And also to all the volunteers out front, tech checking buttons and helping everybody out. All of this helps to make everything happen. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. Okay, our first performer didn't give me a bio sheet, but he's homegrown. He's from this area. He's been fishing, I know just from him filling in a little bit ago, for 30 years from somewhere in California, Bodega Bay, I heard, all the way up to the Bering Sea. Um, he knows about things that happened in the little town I live in, in Kaufman Cove, so that's pretty cool. He also told me, here's how local he is. He told me right in that front seat right there, he sat with his 11-year-old girlfriend, and she gave him a red hot right here. <laughs> a sticky red hot right there. So please welcome Danny Kaiser. All right, we're, we're going full rubber jacket on this one. As you can see, I went outside and I put on my gear. I don't get to wear the gear very often nowadays. It's been almost two full years since I've stepped foot on the ocean. Now, as Doug shared, you know, and I shared before, born and raised right here in Astoria, Oregon. I live in Chinook, Washington at this time, which is a small little unincorporated community just across the Astoria-Megler Bridge. You go over the bridge, take a left, go through the tunnel, and that is the town of Chinook. Now coming here this evening, and every time I travel across the Megler Bridge, 
I cannot believe what a beautiful commute I have. Coming across this evening, I could see the glow of the sun going down. The town of Astoria and it's all its glory. And it could very well be the town of my youth from a distance. Behind the town in all her majesty is Saddle Mountain. And as I look to my left, I can see the glow of Mount St. Helens. And then as I look to my right, I can see the graveyard of the Pacific. <laughs> One of the most beautiful places on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. I played football at John Warren Field. The banks of this river are literally painted with the blood, sweat, and tears of my family. My father and my mother worked for Bumblebee Seafoods, which was the last salmon cannery on the Columbia River, closed in 1979. My mother's side were fishermen, gill netters on this mighty river along with Alaska. This river truly was their dream. And becoming a fisherman as a young man was truly one of mine. I was literally born just around the corner at St. Mary's Hospital. Now the first piece that I'm gonna share is yesterday. As I long for the ocean and stand near the shore, flooded with memories, left wanting for more. From the banks of this river, so close to my home, to the far-reaching places, so cold and alone. I was born around the corner, and just a few blocks up the street, my father was the foreman. He worked for Bumblebee. My mother's side were fishers. This river was their dream. Clifton was the town. Marinkovich was the name. A family catching salmon. Legends in the game. I'd watch the men unload their catch. Sweet smell of money is what they said. I had a skiff and a piece of net. My drift, it was an inside set. As summer would near, ready the gear. North to Alaska, the men would all disappear. I would dream of going with one day but that bumblebee would up and fly away. When they shut down Elmore, Astoria died a bit that day. Hitching a ride with that big bee, well, San Diego and Hawaii were just two of the stops for me. Yet destiny would have its way. I would come home to fish one day. And my first drift when I came back was right on this river with my Uncle Jack. Yet that was not enough for me, so I packed my bag for the Bering Sea. The Maverick, you see, was just the boat for me. Definitely not the biggest, but tough nonetheless. No matter the weather, up to the test. Catching more crabs than boats twice her size, this was just the beginning of a long, crazy ride. 
Bristol Bay in the summer, a reprieve from the cold. Buried in salmon and dripping with sweat. Fish are so thick, we need a new net. It took me a bit, but I soon figured out. Halibut and black cod, that's what it's about. Baiting the hooks and hauling the gear. I fished Dungeness when I had some spare time. Yet all of the money was in the hook and the line. The boat, I found out, was a safe place for me. I seemed to fit in with this rowdy bunch. Fist fights in the morning and drunk before lunch. We all have a reason for choosing this life. Some claim the freedom. Some claim the wife. When I look back and take it all in, the home of my youth no longer is. The pilings mark what now is gone. Getting much older, I, I have some regrets. Yet given the chance to do it again, I'd be back on that ocean. You bet you, my friend. <laughs> now, I always have been dragging my knuckles across the back deck. Now I know every boat needs a captain, but those boots on deck are the engine that drives the machine. As I shared earlier, the dreams of commercial fishing inspire dreams among these men on deck, whatever they may be. Although you have very little control over your schedule, when are you gonna to get to go home? How long are we working? All of those decisions are normally made from the wheelhouse. But I tell you what, the bond that exists between those men on deck can never be broken. Many of the men I've walked the decks with no longer are here. It's a brutal industry and it takes its toll on these men. But as I said, the boots on deck are the machine. Who are the men who risk the most? They wander the deck, much like a ghost. The boots they wear are just like them, extra tough in the ice and the wind. We work the deck and haul the gear. When the crabs are thick, we root, we cheer. The days are short and the nights are long. Through freezing spray and sleepless nights, through the pain and exhaustion, you must keep up the fight. The deckhand he dances to his own special song. A dime a dozen, some captains say. My gear, my boat, we do things my way. A good crew can be hard to find, and a good captain knows where to draw that line. Can you, call, can you haul them faster, he yells from upstairs. Well, I've never seen a pot hauled from that bastard's chair. The deckhand's life, I know it well. No place for man, a frozen hell. The ocean spits out a broken bunch five-star hotels and high-end scotch. Come noon the next day, you can't afford lunch. We save for tomorrow, we fish for today. The pots keep on coming, 
There's bugs on the run, stuffing the hold. We never had so much fun. More crabs in the tank? That's more cash in the bank. You must find a reason for choosing this life. So far from our family and all those we love, the family at home waits by the phone. When will daddy call? When will he be home? The season has been so long. We don't have much left. Our energy's gone. One thing you know for sure, your brothers have your back, standing at the rail or way up on the stack. When all is said and done and the gear is on the beach, you feel it deep inside. The end is within reach. Now the Bering Sea crab fisheries of the early 90s were every bit the heyday of the king crab fisheries of the late 70s. If you can imagine, the Apelio quota was 300 million pounds. Young men were racing to Alaska with dreams of getting rich. Yet there was just one catch. There's a very good chance you may die trying. Now this industry will test every fiber of your being. There will be moments on deck when you feel like you have nothing left to give, when you cannot move forward one more step and giving up is your next best option. But somehow you reach deep inside yourself and you find that strength. That strength is bearing sea strong. Now many of these men chased their dreams all their life. Many of it unrealized. The implementation of the Bering Sea Crab Rationalization Program in 2005 essentially ended this dream for many men. It made the fishery unaccessible. We went from a fleet of 250 boats to 56 in just one year. These men were wandering around the docks, wondering what their next step would be. These men would not just be satisfied with any fishery. What they had given, they could never get back. Now this next piece is Bering Sea Strong. They are the beasts that roam out west, tougher and stronger than all the rest. As the ice appears and the nights wear on, this life, it plays a wicked song. So much more than just a physical test, it's a will to survive and be your best. Of all the men who ride these waves, there is one stat we all look at. Some of these men, they're not coming back. Every year we ring the bell we close our eyes as they begin to swell. The children ask and wonder why. Why my father? Why? Oh, why? We never got to throw the ball, the hugs and kisses. We will miss them all. I've known the pain of losing friends. I've had my tears freeze for them. Yet there is one thing that we must do. 
And that's haul the next pot and push on through. Now, it's not always the sea that takes these men. Some of us are just lost deep within. We cannot find peace upon dry land. And these other fisheries, they don't test our hand. So for all those men, both here and gone, fair winds, smooth seas, forever on. Now I always, I want you to remember to never forget because I promise you there will be moments when life will test every fiber of your being. And in those moments, you will have to look deep within yourself. And that's when you will discover that we are all Bering Sea strong. Okay, once again, let's give Danny Kaiser a big round of applause. Good job. He's got to go out and change his clothes now. And our next performer is, uh, you about ready? Or are you? Okay, our next performer is uh, from McCall, Idaho now, Lou Beaudry. He's uh, fished Prince William Sound in Bristol Bay, gillnetting and seining for 42 years. He's been coming to Fisher Poets Gathering for 10 years, and let's give a big round of applause to Lou Beaudry. So for most fishermen, there's a dilemma. Unless you're a set netter, you can stay in one place and fish, or you can run around looking for more fish. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. There's a couple old adages. Uh, one stick and stay, make it pay. Well, that works if there's enough fish to make it pay. The other one is keep your gear in the water, and that's what this song's called. If you want to succeed at your fishing job, got to be smart, you must work hard. One more thing. I might add, should us help if you got a plan to keep your gear in the water. Keep your gear in the water and you haul it back in. Throw the fish in the bins and repeat it again and again and again. No, it's hard to find that mother load. Ocean so wide, so deep and cold. Who knows where those fish might be? If you want to load up, take a tip from me and keep your gear in the water. Keep your gear in the water and you haul it back in. Throw the fish in the bins and repeat it again, again and again. Oh, you never really know how the season's gonna go. It's always full of surprises. Only thing that you know for sure The tide recedes And again it rises 
long, you're tired and haggard. Nets are worn, torn and ragged. Times like these, it helps to understand. You're gonna get better if you follow the plan. Keep your gear in the water. Keep your gear in the water and you haul it back in. Throw the fish in the bins and repeat it again, again and again. No, you can't catch a fish with your gear on the deck like a lamb being led to the slaughter. You still don't know what to do by now. Just add water, salt water. Keep your gear in the water. Keep your gear in the water and you haul it back in. Throw the fish in the bins and repeat it again and again and again and again remember to follow the plan fishery in Cordova, his name is Tony Baran. He passed away a few years ago, and I, I thought I'd try writing a song for him. And uh, Tony was, uh, was an immigrant from the Czech Republic, and he, he came over and settled on the West Coast and fished in Puget Sound and, and where I knew him, up out of Cordova in the Copper River gillnet fishery. Uh, Tony was already an accomplished fisherman by the time I started fishing, so he was kind of one of my mentors. He didn't know it, but I kept an eye on him, you know. Um, like, like all of us, you know, when he got older, well, there's ups and downs in our lives, and he, he had plenty of both. Um, in the end, he, he, he found his angle of repose. He was pretty happy. He fished, uh, he fished right up to, to the end as far as he, as long as he could. Uh, he, he got, his hips were bothering him so bad that he, uh, he would go backwards down the ramp to, to get out to his, his, to his boat. And uh, finally got a, another younger gentleman from the Czech Republic to help him. Um, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, we shared a, a berth across H-Float in the Cordova Harbor from each other. So we had plenty of, plenty of talk and coffee together and all. Anyway, he had a, uh, he, at one point in his life, he had a boat called, uh, he had an interest in the boat called the Compass Rose, a big crab boat that he tendered and, and I, I guess crabbed. Anyway, that was, that was not one of the better spots in his life, but he got over it and, and uh, landed pretty softly. Uh, in his old age. So that's what I call the song, The Compass Rose. Can you hear that finger picking okay? It's a little lighter than the pick. You good? There's a place I 
on every sailor's chart. They call the compass rose. It shows direction, points true north, from which you set your course. Now if you're traveling through these waters, with their many rocks and shallow shoals, keep your hand steady on the wheel, and stay lined up with the compass rose. There must be a thousand ways a man can fall off course. I found my share right or wrong. Just when I think I might be in control, I realize I'm just drifting along. I've been a sailor on a single-handed vessel. Oh, I try to stay on courses that are unknown. The tides and currents sometimes are too strong. Wind and fog no one can own. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying that it's bad. But I've been caught on the wrong side of the weather. Just a few more times, maybe I should have. When I was younger, I worked harder. Sometimes now I think maybe I still should. There's no shame just to carry with the current. Right now, drifting's feeling pretty good. I guess I really do not need too much. You cannot hold what matters most to me. Like talking coffee with a dear old friend and a sweet salt breeze blowing across the sea. I have had some times, I'll tell you, as I sailed upon this sea. I have laughed, I have laughed, and I have cracked till I cracked open. Wait. I have laughed, and I have loved till I cracked open. And by God, that's been enough for me. So I've learned just to take it as it comes. Watch for rocks, keep a weather eye. So raise your glass and return my smile as you see me passing by. But I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying that it's bad. But I made it through from the wrong side of the weather Just a few more times maybe I should have Yes, I really do not need too much 
You cannot hold what matters most to me. So raise your glass to a dear old friend who's lying easy on the anchor in the lee. done writing that for Tony and I realized it's just as much about me as it is about him. <laughs> things you got to watch out for, but it, it was very liberating, you know, and then, and then as I fished and uh, fished more and got more into it, a lot of responsibilities that come with boat ownership. Uh, there's a financial responsibility, you got to pay the loan, it, and you got to get a, get a paycheck out of it, and, you, and the cruise depends on you for a paycheck. And there's uh, a safety responsibility. Things can go wrong. You got other people on deck you're responsible for. And then, of course, there's maintenance, which is forever and ongoing. Well, when I, I retired about 10 years ago, sold my last boat, and I experienced a different kind of freedom. Something he holds dear Like an old pair of trousers Or a well-worn coat My time has come I sold the boat He went to the bank Got a great big loan He wanted to buy Something I did own With a little regret but at last, now he's got the boat. I got the cash. Oh, I'm not throwing one more dime into that fiberglass hole. No, I'll never pay another bill at that storage yard. And I'll never have to rebuild that tired old engine one of these days. Cause the deal went down. And the boat went away. They say the two best days, boat owner knows well, the day he buys and the day he sells. I've known them both, and I must say that the buying's good. But the selling's great. 
got done, I just had to fix my harmonica. Closing my accounts at the hardware store. I'll never have to buy 500 gallons of diesel fuel anymore. And I'll never have to use a grinder, catalyst, or gel code. I'm free at last. I sold the boat. Oh, I'm not saying one more dime into that. Fiberglass hole, no, I'll never pay another bill at that storage yard. And I'll never have to wonder if she's sinking or she's afloat. I'm free at last. I sold the boat. I'm free at last. I sold the boat. Okay, everybody, uh, you know, Lou lives in McCall, and you know why he lives in McCall? He sold the boat, that's right. Let's give Lou a big round of applause. Okay, that was wonderful. Our next performer is Mary Jacobs, and Mary has fish, crab, shrimp, salmon, herring, Probably, probably a couple other things in there too. Uh, throughout Alaska for 40 years, 25 of those years, she skippered her own boat, generally with an all-women crew. Most of the time was around Kodiak. So please welcome Mary. Got it. Boy, I sure. Love to hear Lou's songs. He's great. And boy, I wish I had a voice like Dan. <laughs> he, can, he can really belt it out. Okay, um, in 1979, I had a bad case of cabin fever and missed crewing for salmon. My husband, John, encouraged me to go on my own, and he enthusiastically offered to stay home at our remote cabin in Mush Bay to garden and watch our kids. I fixed up our 29-foot boat, the Invader, hired two girlfriends, Mary Rellier and Vicki Vesey, left my eight-year-old boy and three-year-old daughter with my husband. Oh yeah, John also agreed to watch Mary Rellier's eight-year-old son and 10-year-old daughter. Vicki also had an eight-year-old boy, who we also left with John. Three eight-year-old boys, what could go wrong? <laughs> but that's another story. Luckily, my fourth crew lady, Jane Eisman, had no children. <laughs> During my first set ever, a skipper, 
The exhaust broke and filled the cabin with smoke, leaving us choking and coughing. I aborted the set and crept home for repairs. The following week, all fixed up, the crew and I again left our five kids with John and, and with renewed enthusiasm, headed away from my home at the head of the east arm of Uganic Bay. This time I wanted to travel farther to Broken Point at the mouth of the bay. Mary Relier and Jane slept in their bunks. I drove the boat under a full moon, thought about my two kids, and cried, especially Belika, who was only three, and had reminded me that she would never leave me. <laughs> I'll keep you company, I heard Vicky call up from the deck. As soon as the water boils, I'll bring tea. I wiped away my tears. Vicky brought two steaming cups of mint tea and sat next to me the way I used to see Chuck keep John company on the same bridge. We drank our honeyed tea and talked about our love of the ocean and its wildlife. In the quiet night, the full moon high and bright above us, we breathed in the salt air. Thanks, Vicky, I said. For what? Helping me realize this dream and sharing these moments with me, I spread my arms to take in the blue-black ocean under the dawn-lightening sky. Just then, Vicky stood up and pointed out crown-like puffins windmilling away from the boat. Later, as the moon set and the sky lightened, we laughed as porpoises played under our bow. As the sun broke over the snow-covered peaks of Kodiak, we arrived at Broken Point. Salmon jumped in a calm and inviting indigo ocean. Above the rocky and boulder-strewn beach sat a rickety summer cabin surrounded by iris, lupins, and tall grass. Floyd Anderson's cabin, I surmised. Vicky cooked oatmeal, made coffee, and woke Jane and Mary at 6 a.m. After they ate, Vicky started the skiff, and I gave the order to set our seine. It went out perfectly. Vicky and I towed our respective ends of the net. Salmon jumped inside it as Jane and Mary watched from the deck and cheered. Woohoo! I exclaimed from the bridge, we're catching fish. But then I noticed a strong ebb current was pulling our boat, our net, and skiff backwards at a steady clip. The belly of my net approached a set net, a gill net anchored along the shore to catch traveling salmon. Mary came up and sat beside me, her forehead knitted with worry. Damn, I slumped in despair. I effed up. I should have realized there would be big tides with the full moon. The current is taking us into that gill net, and this little boat does not have the power to pull it away. What do we do, she asked. Let's back all quick. I jumped off the bridge and turned on the hydraulics when my crew donned their rain gear. I ran the controls, the hydraulics whined, and the power block pulled in the seine. The crew stacked it as fast as they could. I broke into a sweat as I saw Invader Stern approaching the gillnet. I could read the name on the buoys. Floyd Anderson. <laughs> I really hoped he was napping. <laughs> We had about half the net in when I saw, to my horror, a hundred yards from my boat, my corks entangling Floyd's net. Moments later, both sets of corks disappeared underwater. I cranked, cranked up the engine to pull the net faster, but the increased pressure caused a hydraulic line to burst, squirting oil all over us and the boat. I had no choice but to disengage the hydraulics. The situation was getting worse. 
Now, if we managed to disentangle from Floyd's net, we had no hydraulics to reclaim our seine. Jane and Mary looked at me for guidance. I realized that I had to be decisive. I must not panic, I told myself. We need to repair the line, I said to the crew. Mary, go look under the bunks for a three-quarter inch repair kit in the wood box. She shed her oil-soaked raincoat as she ran into the cabin. Meanwhile, Jane and I wrapped the net with a tie-up line and tied it to the winch. Jane pushed the web clear of the Invader's propeller while I put the boat back in gear so I could tug at the impossibly entangled net. But we made no headway. The current continued to push us backwards. I used my binoculars and looked over at the skiff where Vicky was trying to tow her end of her end of the net away from Floyd's. By her prop wash, I could tell she was at full RPMs, doing all she could, but she also failed to make headway. The strong current pulled the skiff back. I grasped my head in despair as her end of the net disappeared into the tangle of, our, of ours and Floyd's. They sank out of sight and into the depths of the ocean. I knew Vicky would realize the futility of her continuing to hang on to our net. Vicky's tow line tugged hard on the skiff's stern, trying to pull it under. Just before her stern sunk, Vicky undid the line, and without any recourse, she skiffed back to the invader. Her knuckles on the skiff's steering wheel were white. The veins in her neck stood out. She tied alongside and came aboard. I don't know what else I could do. You did the right thing, I said. Otherwise, the current would have pulled your skiff under, and you'd be swimming. I kept towing the, the net, making no headway, but at least no longer losing ground and becoming more entangled. I was a screw-up. Two sets into my career as a salmon skipper, both disasters. Jane and Mary moved close to the bridge, waiting for my directions. I could not look them in their eyes. To buy myself time, I picked up a tide book and pretended to read it. I remembered seeing John in a comparable situation. I recall his advice to be patient. Tow the net gently until the current changes. Don't fight the weather and currents. Fish smart, not brazen. Then I actually read the tide book and groaned. I, I paused, I passed on the unwelcome news. The tide just started ebbing. We may have to tow here for six hours until the flood but we need to be patient. Meanwhile, I need to fix the hydraulics. While you work on the hydraulics, Vicky said, I'll take the wheel. Just then, Mary came out of the cabin with an assortment of hydraulic parts. Exactly what I need, I exclaimed. I turned the wheel over to Vicky and told Mary, get a hacksaw, a hammer, and a socket set, and to Jane, get a bucket of soapy water and scrub the oily decks. I don't want anyone slipping and falling and getting injured. Jane squirted joy soap onto the deck, bucketed up some seawater, added more soap, and scrubbed. Milky liquid dripped through our scuppers, a rainbow slick streamed from our stern. While Vicky towed, we took turns sawing the heavy rubber and steel and pregnant line on either side of the leak. Then we hammered the fittings into the hose with bruised hands. An hour into the project, we clamped them and tightened the clamps with a ratchet. We admired our work and turned on the hydraulics to test it. No leaks. Mary and I high-fived. Theoretically, we were ready to haul seine, but all we saw was an underwater snarl of corks, seine, and gillnet web. I knew if we tried to woman hand the nets apart, 
both would tear, so we, so we just kept towing. Our remaining net and whatever, whatever was left of Floyd's net were deep, underwater, invisible. For hours, I towed against the ebbing tide. My crew took turns by my side. Vicky asked if I thought our net would be damaged. I pointed out the sharp-edged shale boulders on the nearby beach. If the net is hanging up on cutting rocks like those, I said, we will have a lot of torn web. And it's possible that the net is being sawn in half. Then we'd really be screwed. Also, it snagged onto and being torn by Floyd's anchors. Vicky rubbed the back of her neck. I sure hope we can fi fix it on board, she said. I know I'll feel like a fool going home again without catching a fish. That's what we would have to do if the net is shredded. Then Vader is too small to pull the net onto the deck to mend massive holes. I knew that if it, it could be so bad that we would have to go back to Mesh Bay and mend web and splice lines on the beach. Also, I would miss another opening while making repairs. Jane made grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup, comfort food. I ate but could not taste. At some point on the distant shore, Floyd came out of his cabin, got in his skiff, and picked his other net. Then he approached us. A hundred, hundred yards out, he slowed, shook his head as if to say, dumb chicks, turned his skiff around and returned to his cabin. I was humiliated. We towed, kept the tension on the net for, for another two hours, then the current started to slack. At first, it was almost imperceptible. I think I see more corks popping out of the snarl, Jane said. There, she pointed, there's another. Finally, I sighed. At first, the nets untangled slowly. Within an hour, the flood tide blew us away from Floyd's net, and we were able to haul ours aboard. Miraculously, we found only minor holes in our web. Floyd's net had all his corks floating and looked like it was stretched out to catch fish. We were lucky it could have been much worse. I'm going to go look for a safe place to fish. I mumbled, worrying about what trouble I could get us into next. I climbed back onto the bridge and squinted into the midday sun. I was desperate to save the day and prove I could catch fish. So while Mary Relier mended the small holes in our net, I ran the invader to the inside of Broken Point, away from the extreme current of the Shalikov. There were no other boats or gillnets in sight. In mid-afternoon, we set the net. I held the boat close to the shore, and Vicky made an increasingly large hook shape with her end. Salmon circled in her hook. Vicky managed the seine like a pro. After 30 minutes, I turned the boat towards her and closed the net and we carefully hauled it back, adjusting the pulling and pursing speed so we would not lose the salmons swimming in circles inside our seine. Jane and Mary stacked the web, cork line, and lead line with precision. When we pulled in the last part of the puckered seine, sockeye spilled into our boat. We had finally started to catch fish. Thank you. Okay, that was a great story of uh, mishap that turned out okay. Let's give Mary a big round of applause. That was wonderful.
Okay, we're at the uh, end of our uh, hour. We're right on time. Um, we're going to take a little break here. Before we do, once again, I just want to uh, make sure you guys are aware of the poetry contest that's after this tonight. Anybody can join. Be jotting stuff down. Needs to be no more than 60 seconds. Your poem needs to contain three colors, three sounds, three smells, somebody's voice, and uh, it has to be about fishing. So I don't think it really has to, it can be your voice, I think. And also, uh, I'd just like to give uh, Danny, Lou, and Mary another big round of applause for a wonderful set. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you back here in about uh, 13 minutes. Thank you. That was Fisher Poets Dan Kaiser, Lou Beaudry, and Mary Jacobs, recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon, on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to thefisherpoetryarchive at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she goes. 